This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I am a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This new series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. As this is the first episode in the series, and because it's happening at the tail end of a very eventful year for the market, I thought it would be a good idea to share my thoughts on the broad topic of investing. I will talk about what's driving stock markets around the world. I will also look into why investors shouldn't ignore the Singapore stock market, even though its performance has been quite disappointing. Whenever an economic crisis or financial crisis comes along, wealth management experts like to tell investors to hold the line and not change the way they save and invest their money. It's quite good advice because. You don't want to be shaken out of the market at the wrong time, and in the case of COVID-19, that advice to stay invested has paid off very well. Most stock markets around the world have bounced off the lows they hit in late March and early April, and in some cases, they've really bounced a long way. The S&P 500 index, which is a very well-known benchmark of U.S. stocks, is now nearly 12% above where it was at the beginning of this year, before COVID-19 came along. The Nasdaq Composite Index, which is skewed towards growth-oriented tech stocks, has returned more than 32% this year. Despite all the turmoil related to COVID-19, so things are working out very well for investors who have stayed in the market in spite of the volatility this year. But it's important as an investor to understand what's happening and what's really driving the market. There are two important things to keep in mind here. The most important of those two things is that a massive amount of monetary and fiscal stimulus has been applied by governments around the world. In particular, the U.S. Federal Reserve slashed the federal funds rate all the way down to zero at the height of the COVID-19 panic earlier this year. And if things ever get worse, many analysts are expecting to see the Fed increase its pace of bond purchases, which is how it pushes money into the financial system. So there is this very strong policy support going on for the markets. The second thing to keep in mind is that we are not in an ordinary economic cycle. When the economy tanked earlier this year. It was not because consumers had become overleveraged or that companies had overinvested and ended up with excess capacity. Economic activity came to a halt because of the measures to curb COVID-19, and we're seeing a recovery now, especially in Asia, because of the lifting of those restrictions. Now, the bad news is that COVID-19 hasn't gone away. Until we get some effective vaccines, we're going to see a resurgence from time to time, and that will trigger fresh lockdowns and restrictions on movement. But the good news is that we're getting better at containing infections, and we're learning to live with restrictions that are necessary to keep infections at bay. I was reading a report by Morgan Stanley recently that said economic growth indicators in places like China, Hong Kong, and Korea have been surprising to the upside, despite them having to repeatedly impose restrictions on movement. It shows that we're learning to get on with life and to take care of business in spite of the restrictions. So I think it's a matter of time before we get a broader recovery in the market, with some of the most battered down stocks leading the way. For instance, if COVID-19 remains under control and international travel begins opening up, as many of us hope, then we should eventually get a recovery in airlines and hospitality stocks. In the meantime, because the Fed is likely to ensure that there is no shortage of liquidity, it's probably a good idea to remember the advice of those wealth management experts and maintain some broad and diversified exposure to the market. We shouldn't take anything for granted, of course, but on balance, because of the strong policy support, it's probably more risky to be out of the market than to be in. Now, let's just narrow the focus down to the Singapore market because this is where the story becomes really interesting. 
Unlike the S&P 500, the Straits Times Index hasn't rebounded all that much from its March lows. It's now still about 19% below it where it was at the beginning of the year. As I said earlier, the S&P 500 is up 12% from where it started the year. Obviously, the reason the S&P 500 has done better is because the largest component stocks of the S&P 500 have proven to be very resilient in the face of COVID-19. Microsoft is up about 40% this year. Apple is up more than 60%. Amazon is up more than 70%. These are very large stocks that have delivered very strong returns despite COVID-19. Still, a good number of other markets in this region have also outpaced Singapore. Korea's Kospi Index and the Shanghai Composite Index have delivered year-to-date returns of more than 10%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index is down about 9%. Even neighbouring Kuala Lumpur, the Composite Index is down only about 4%. But the Singapore market hasn't just underperformed since COVID-19 happened. It's been underperforming for years and years before that. From the end of 2009 to the end of 2019, which is a period that excludes the worst of the global financial crisis, as well as the COVID-19 panic, the SDI delivered a total return of just 54.3%, according to Bloomberg data. That's total return over 10 years, with dividends reinvested. It's quite unimpressive, especially when you compare it to the S&P 500, which delivered a total return of 256.4% over that same 10-year period. That's 256% versus 54% for the STI. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the BT Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to my analysis and insights on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. So you must be wondering why the Singapore market performs so poorly. One narrative is that the past decade has presented Singapore's largest companies with a very tough operating backdrop. In particular, the commodity sector cooled dramatically. Oil prices fell from highs of more than US$100 per barrel in 2014 to less than $40 per barrel now. China's growth dynamics also began shifting in 2015. The country began leaning towards domestic consumption spending and slowing its investment spending, which is said to have had an adverse impact on global demand. On top of that, Over the past decade, traditional industries in Singapore, from transport to retailing to media, all faced technology disruption. So the combination of these factors has weighed on the performance of Singapore's corporate sector, and this has led to a general decline in the vibrancy of the local market and reduced investor interest. So why should investors care about the Singapore market at all? There are two reasons. The first is there is a lot of value to be found within Singapore's leading companies. They may be performing poorly, but they're not broke. Secondly, we're beginning to see a real effort to unlock that value. One example of this is the recently completed restructuring of Semcorp Industries, which used to own a controlling stake in Semcorp Marine. Under the deal, Sem Marine raised $2.1 billion through a 5-for-1 rights issue of new shares priced at $0.20 each. Semcorp Industries and Sem Marine were then separated from each other through a distribution in specie of Semcorp Industries' stake in the recapitalized Semmarine. This transaction was hard on shareholders of Semmarine, but it created a lot of value for shareholders of Semcorp Industries. Here's how. Just before the transaction was announced, shares in Semcorp Industries were trading at $1.53. So if you owned 1,000 shares in Semcorp Industries, they would have been worth $1,530. After the transaction, you would still have 1,000 shares in Semcorp Industries, but you would also have 4,911 shares in Sem Marine because of the distribution in specie. 
At the time of the recording of this podcast late last week, Semcorp Industries was trading at 165 roughly, and Semmarine was trading at about 12 cents. So at those prices, you would own shares worth more than $2,239. That's a gain of 46% compared to the $1,530 that you started with. Another example of a company that seems intent on unlocking value is Keppel Corp. Much like Semcorp Industries, Keppel has been hit by a slump in its offshore and marine business in recent years, and its stock has taken a real beating. So what is Keppel going to do about it? On September 29, the company said that it has identified $17.5 billion worth of assets on its balance sheet that can potentially be monetized over time and channeled towards growth initiatives. It also plans a strategic review of its beleaguered offshore and marine business, which could result in Keppel getting rid of it. Now, these efforts will take some time. In particular, the company is not going to monetize $17.5 billion worth of assets right away. It's promising to monetize between $3 billion and $5 billion over the next three years. But the important point is that Keppel is clearly indicating how it plans to deliver value to its shareholders, and that is already having a positive impact on its share price. Another example of a company where value is being unlocked is at the agribusiness giant Wilma International. Wilma recently spun off its Chinese subsidiary, called Ehai Kerry Arwana, as a separately listed company. Since that listing, the Chinese subsidiary has garnered a massive valuation. Its market cap is now more than twice Wilma's own market cap, and its shares are trading at nearly 40 times forward earnings, while Wilma is trading at about 14 to 15 times. So analysts are expecting to see that valuation gap eventually narrow by Wilma's share price rising significantly. Now, commodity prices can be quite volatile, so we might be in for a bumpy ride with this one. But given what the company has done, I think this stock could do quite well in the months ahead. The point I'm trying to make with all of these examples is that despite the poor performance of the Singapore market as a whole, there are some very big companies here that can deliver significant value to investors. So it's a market that you shouldn't completely ignore. That's it for this first episode of the Mark to Market podcast by The Business Times. I'm Ben Paul, and you can follow my future Mark to Market podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. That was an SBH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.